May I have the envelope, please? May I have the envelope, please? The best picture of the year is... The best picture of the year. The best picture of the year. I am happy to announce that the winner is... The winner is... And the winner... The winner is... The winner is... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Envelope Podcast. Here on the Envelope Podcast, we will be discussing and reviewing every Best Picture winner in the Academy Awards history. Today we are discussing the third Best Picture winner, All Quiet on the Western Front. My name is Sean Wathen, and joining me today are Nicole Mumi. That's me. And Sky Wathen. Hey! Before we get to our film this week, let's briefly chat about the history of the third Academy Awards. The third Academy Awards were awarded to films completed and released between August 1st, 1929 and July 31st, 1930 by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. As mentioned on the previous podcast, the second Academy Awards ceremony was held more than eight months after the end of the eligibility period. Therefore, it was decided that the third Academy Awards would be held in November of 1930 to bring the awards ceremony closer to the relevant time period. As a result, 1930 was the only calendar year in which two award ceremonies were held. Best Sound Recording was introduced this year, making it the first new category since the inception of the Academy Awards. It was awarded to Douglas Shearer, brother of Best Actress winner Norma Shearer, making them the first sibling winners in Academy Award history. The eight Academy Award categories this year were Outstanding Production, aka Outstanding Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Writing, Best Sound Recording, which was new, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. The Academy Awards statuette depicts a knight holding a crusader's sword standing on a reel of film with five spokes. The five spokes represent the original branches of the Academy, actors, writers, directors, technicians, and producers. And that's how we will break down each of our reviews of the Best Picture winners. Today we are discussing the outstanding Best Picture winner, All Quiet on the Western Front, which beat out The Big House, Disraeli, The Divorcee, and The Love Parade. All Quiet on the Western Front was the first film to win both Best Picture and Best Director. Lewis Milestone became the first person to win two Academy Awards, having previously won Best Director Comedy at the first Academy Awards ceremony. All Quiet on the Western Front follows a young soldier who faces profound disillusionment in the soul-destroying horror of World War I. Based on the Eric Maria Remarque novel of the same name, the film was directed by Lewis Milestone and stars Lou Ayers as Paul Baumer, Lewis Wolheim as Stanislaus Kat Katzinski, John Ray as Himmelstoss, Arnold Lucy as Professor Kantarek, and Ben Alexander as Franz Kemmerich. Starting with the first spoke of our reel, what do you guys think about the acting? Overall, I thought it was really good. I was concerned in the beginning because there was a lot of acting via yelling. Just a lot of people yelling at each other. And I get it's a war movie, but I was missing those quieter moments, but those came later in the film. And it was also hard to tell who our main character was in the beginning. It took a long time for me to realize that it was Paul because we kept following so many people, but it's because eventually they were getting picked off one at a time. But overall, I thought they all did a great job. I thought Paul, our main character, does really well. Um, played by Lou um, and Franz, who is played by Ben Alexander, uh, who has like a smaller role. But I thought he did an excellent job. And he was like, had just a small scene where he's in bed and he realizes, you know, spoiler alert for this movie, that he um, <laughs> lost his leg. And as he's slowly dying and talking about his boots and, you know, giving them to this other soldier named Mueller, 
it was just a very emotional scene that I think caught me off guard because I wasn't really expecting it then, but I thought it was really well done and it was much more subtle than the previous two movies we've discussed so far because I feel like we're getting further away from the silent film area where everything had to be big and over the top. With this, there were so many quiet moments of quieter acting and I really appreciated that. I t- yeah, I totally agree. It gets away from just the artifice of filmmaking in general yeah. to the subtleties of acting and it's exactly that scene. Everything just seemed to be like uh it wasn't about the individual, it was about the experience of war. Oh, yeah. Until that scene that you're talking about where the character loses his leg and then it gets into the nuances and Paul really starts to step forward and you realize, "Oh, this is our lead." Because oh, yeah. before it was just about a group of boys and the collective idea of this, you know, war sort of affecting or how war affects youth it seemed. I couldn't even tell them apart to yeah, be honest. That's true. And I once he stepped forward as the lead, there was a lot more nuances and you became like attached to, and I was like, wow. I remember thinking when he returns after he's seen the friend lose his leg and brings back the boots, one guy just is like, great, I get these boots. Yeah. But then he's talking about, do you know what I just witnessed? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And I thought his acting chops really came out. To note though, with the acting, we're, the story is talking about the German the German mm-hmm. side yeah, of things. Yeah, that was really interesting. Which was very interesting, but the actors did not go out of their way at all to not sound totally American. Mm-hmm. No one had a German accent. <laughs> they just had German names. Well, and everyone looked like the quintessential American patriot. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I, I think the acting was beautifully done in this movie, and I think that the, I think that that they all captured that spirit. I mean, it's funny you say that acting was like a lot of yelling at the beginning, but I think that was actually, I mean, I'm assuming it was intentional. Yeah. Where the fervor of patriotism and, you know, the just cause and the concept of like, we have to protect the motherland and the, or the fatherland and whatever is something, you know, that's a, a classic recruiting technique of military. And so all these boys are filled with the fervor of the need to prove their patriotism and so it is frenetic and chaotic and loud and like all those things and once you get to war you realize oh this is a very real very demure very muted thing very extreme thing that we're actually going through and that i mean that's the point of the movie is the disillusionment of of the soul and of the of the experience and so i think it's i actually think it was it's super interesting how it started at this very chaotic frenetic energized place and as the the movie progresses the acting becomes much quieter and matured and matured and the more mature like it all lended itself it it, yeah it's really yeah i mean it's funny that you talked about it and realized until you were just saying it that in the beginning there is like there's a big parade going on there's constant noise and then it's like you go from that and the very final shot is silence Silence. yeah other than one guy pulling a trigger and you see a hand fall and it's like the the change throughout the entire film is so interesting but um one last acting note. This was the final film of Raymond Griffith, who played the dying French soldier that Paul stabs and he slowly dies. Raymond Griffith was a very famous uh, silent film star because he was actually, as a child, he was born with a certain disease that he ended up losing his voice when he was a small child, so he couldn't speak. So as movies moved into talkies, he lost his career because he could never speak. But you wouldn't know that watching a silent film because he could mime talking. 
and it felt bad that it just it kind of ended up ending his career because this was his last performance. But well, what a great character he got cast in then because he plays the French soldier. There is no communication, like he, yeah. And he's in his scene, he's been stabbed in the throat. It almost seems yeah. like, or, but more in the chest. But I mean, it, there's blood and whatever. Yeah. Um, and he's the you know, and there is it's a communication. So that just actually now that sort of adds to my memory of that scene because there was he was like, no, I want to help you finally because you go yeah. through, and that speaks more on the acting skills of what. The Lou, the character, the guy who plays mm-hmm. Paul, because he's like, at first he's scared he's gonna die. Then he has to deal with what it's like to kill somebody intimately and up close in yeah. war. And he's like, no, I'm trying to help you. And there's a communication barrier. So, and I thought that French soldier was that that scene was really good. Yeah, yeah, tough. it was a really tough just scene. Learning. Yeah, what it's like, because before that, everybody's just kind of shooting into wherever the other bullets are coming from. And in this, he's, like, hiding in a bunker and watches soldiers jump over him, the enemy, heading the other way. And one just happens to fall into where he is. And he quickly stabs him out of defense. And then, yeah, he keeps talking about helping him. He tries to stop the bleeding, but the guy slowly dies over time. And But that'll help transition us here into the writing. What did you think of the story of this film as a whole? I mean, I think it's speaks volumes about the concept of war mm-hmm. and the and the mentality of people of war. It's it's interesting because America didn't come into World War One until very late. And then again, we didn't come into World War Two until it was well underway in Europe. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to to look at it from a cultural perspective of how our country was viewing European wars yeah. and like and the fact that this is really, and though it's told from the German perspective, it's obviously speaking to the American to the American concept of disillusionment and like feeling disillusioned with the concept of war, disillusioned with the concept of sending off a generation of. I mean, World War One, we literally lost a generation of men. So, I mean, not we America, but we as a a world, like yeah. you know, more so in Europe than here. Um, but but this this concept of of how war is is so much more than just the fight and so much more and is so much more impactful and lasting once it's done than even when it's happening you know and i just i think that the writing of the i'm sure the book obviously lent great source material for telling the story but the writing of the film itself is is really captures that spirit of of the transition from the fervor of patriotism to the end of, oh, what it's actually like and what it, the reality of it. And the scene where he goes home in the middle and on leave is, you know, the, the sequence is so great because he, he realizes how little he can connect with the life he used to have. And he goes oh, to, the yeah. professor, to the professor who's still up to his old tricks of trying to instill the patriotism and the and the need to go and the and fight and that was my favorite you scene. know I think yeah. that was I it's so well and just when he's standing there and the professor's going tell them how great it is tell them how important it is to fight for your country and he's like I can't I can't lie I can't yeah. tell them that this no, is I the greatest thing pulse, well part of the end of that speech because it's actually that scene gave me goosebumps um, when he's in the classroom talking to these kids he says. Uh, Quote, up at the front, you're alive or you're dead, and that's all. You can't fool anybody about that for very long. Up there, we know we're lost and done for, whether we're dead or alive. Three years we've had it, four years, and every day a year, every night a century. Our bodies are earth, our thoughts are clay, and we weep and or we sleep and we eat death, and we're done for because we can't live that way, and, keeping, and you can't keep anything inside of you. I shouldn't have come on leave. I'll go back tomorrow. I have four more days, but I can't stand here. I'll go back tomorrow. 
thought it was so interesting the way he was like, I can't stand it over there. But here is almost worse. But I can't exist now that I've seen it there. Like, my life can't be, you know. And I thought... I thought he was going to kill himself. Like, yeah. I thought, honestly, because I've never read this book, I was like, we're going to see, like, boots hanging from, like, the, mm-hmm. the undershot of him hanging right. himself at yeah. home. That's where I thought it was going. But then I thought when he decided to go back early, my thought was, well, it still is suicide. I think he knows he's going back to die because he can't return to this. That's how I mm-hmm. felt as the yeah. viewer. And uh, I think when he goes back, it's, it is the dis, it's the dis, disillusionment. Is that what I want to say? Yeah. yeah, because of the scene where he's also home and he goes and he hangs out with his dad and his dad's friends. Yeah. His dad's friends are all telling him, they pull out a map and say, this is what you should have done. This is what we need to be doing. And that completely reminds me of people, even today they do that. Well, this is what the soldier should be doing. It's mm-hmm. like, you yeah. don't know. You haven't been there. Right. You don't know what it's like to actually be in the middle of it. And you don't know the politics of what's going on. And yet people love to, like, backseat drive, you know, in this bar with a beer and a map and say, you should go over here and do this. You should have gone over here and do this. And how many of them did you kill? And you should be proud of that. And this guy's just sitting there like, you guys just don't understand. Oh, yeah. He's, like, more lost there than he was actually in the middle of the fight. And there was that real sense of, like, oh, buddy boy, you don't know. Like, and it's like, he's there. Yeah. Yeah. He was there. He was in the middle of it. Yeah. And I thought... You know, it's like it kind of all comes together with the writing and and the acting and all of those scenes. And I liked, I mean, um, Himmelstoss, who plays the post. I, there's a, a scene like he's kind of annoying, but he plays the post worker in the very first scene, the postal office guy. And he's going to go because he's some sort of sergeant. He's the one who ends up training the boys. Yeah. And his and then all of a sudden he changes like no he's military mm-hmm. and there's this sense of like I'll show you how to be soldiers and then later. I love when he comes in and you see he doesn't know how to be a soldier. Oh, yeah. And he's terrified. And, like, the boys now that he's, like, falsely... No, they're not prepared for what they're going to see in war. How can you really prepare somebody for war like that? And I felt like that played out really well in those moments where and they, you know, where he was terrified. And it's like... I felt like that had to do with the writing more so with the mm-hmm. acting, yeah. too, and the way it was all sort of brought together. Because, like, when I first saw him, like, as a viewer, it's like, oh, he's... You know, it's like, oh, well, that's what it is, you know, getting boys ready for war. And militaries, you know, basic training is hard and scary. And they get mm-hmm. screamed at and they're in the mud. And But it's all for survival. And it's like the guy who's training them has no idea. Yeah, because when he's actually yeah. in the middle of the battle, he hides for a while. Yeah. Because he's scared, too, once you're actually in it. You can train as much as you want. But when you get out there, it's a totally different experience. And I love, I love the character of Kat so he's much. He's my favorite. Yeah, because... He is the representative of the of the reality of war, which is if we might die tomorrow, we might make it through. But I'm going to do everything I can to make this experience every day the most of what it can be. So he goes and he's stealing the pigs and he's, you know, yeah. rounding up the food. But he's taking care of his boys, too. You know, it's there's so much concept like you think about. Obviously, we live outside of the concept of actually having to deal with this or even have any real true experience with it. But, like, you think of, you think about what you've learned of, like, the food shortages and oh, the yeah. water shortages and the, you know, I love the scene where they find the bottle of whiskey and they all just share the bottle of whiskey in the trench. Because it's like, when was the last time they probably got to have a drink? But they all get to take a piece. There's no, no, it's mine, no, it's mine, no, it's mine, everybody move away. Everybody gets that piece. And, like, it's funny when they have the scene where they get... 
I mean, it's it's heartbreaking and funny at the same time. They have the scene where they go to get their first, like, hot meal in a really long time, and the cook's cooked for twice as many people because half of the people have died. But the guys are like, well, great, Great, that means we get double. And I was thinking, watching it, oh, man, you should be holding on to some of that food because you don't know when you're going to get your next meal. But by the same time, you don't know if you'll make it to your yeah. next meal. And it'd probably go rancid, well, too. Well, yeah. yeah, but, I mean, it just, you know, conceptually, I'm like, oh, keep some of the bread, keep some of it, because you don't know what it's going to be, you know, and it's... I just think they, they did such a beautiful job of handling all of that. And Kat is such a great character representative of, like, the different ways to get through what you're experiencing. Yeah. And, you know, it's just... And just trying to... Trying to make the most of the situation you find yourself in. The fact that it was the German side, too. Is really interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, just everybody who's involved in war, you know what I mean? Like, that... And how even though it's the German side, because they have American accents at times, like, I forgot that. And it also, it doesn't matter, because it's all the same. Right. Regardless of what side you're on, the, the shit and the troubles that you have in the middle of war are the same no matter what side you're on. Well, and I love that this, as a war film, which maybe this speaks more to the production production than the writing, but just generally as a war film, I like that this wasn't about seeing the good guys win the battle or something like that. Like, this was just a story of men in war. It wasn't yes. about yes. going over the hill and crashing through the, the village or whatever, because it is the side of the quote-unquote bad guys. I mean, I'm the bad guys, whatever. So you don't want to be rooting for them in that respect. But I like that we weren't asked to. You weren't made yeah. to feel like you weren't allowed to root for these people because you know they're the bad guys. You know what I mean? Like, they're just people. And that not was... like you were saying, you you lose perspective or you lose the remembrance that this is, quote unquote, the bad side, you know? Well, that has to do with the big meal you brought up. My One of my favorite scenes is after the meal is over, where they're all sitting yeah. around and they're talking about, like, who started this war? It's like, mm-hmm. we, th- you know, they think somebody else did. And that person probably thinks someone else did. So no one really knows, like, in those soldiers, they don't know how the war started. And they're like, who wants this? And we don't want to be fighting in it. We know they don't want to be fighting in it. But they're blaming us. So we have to fight back. And it's like how these soldiers are like, we don't want to be here. We don't want to be doing this. Because, because the politics are so messed up. But it feels like it's too late. We're already here. Right. We're already in it. Um, and in that scene, I love when they're like, I don't know. I, do I hate the English? No, I don't think I hate the English. Oh, yeah. Do I hate the French? I don't think I hate the French. You know, it's so, it's so, it resonates still today in such a serious way because like, I don't know, do we, whoever you're fighting, like, do you hate, do you, the soldier, hate those people? I don't think so. Most of the time, the answer's going to be no, you know? Yeah. One of my last favorite lines was the character, Albert, when he's talking about school. This is so, he says so nonchalantly. That in school, they never really taught us useful things, like how to light a cigarette in the wind, or how to make fire out of wet wood, or to bayonet a man in the belly instead mm-hmm. of the ribs where it gets jammed. Yeah. But he says it like it's so nonchalant, like we should have been taught these things, like to bayonet somebody, to kill them here instead of there. Yeah. I just thought the dialogue in this movie was so well done. Um, oh, the, yeah, and even in the most, the saddest death scene, like, like how you're saying, like, oh, he just says it so easily, like... Yeah. Paul is carrying Kat back from thinking he has a broken shin, not realizing that he has died. Yeah. Yeah. And, then still when, and him. he still carries him. And when he brings him back and the guy says, oh, you could have saved yourself some time. You don't have a big, sad, crying moment for Kat because death is so imminent. So yeah. all around you. So like you didn't have that. And Hollywood loves to put those oh, very sappy crying horrible mm. like why did you you know oh, yeah. and he just kind of walks away takes his book and it's like 
that was got me. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's just so. It's just such a part of war. war. It's, yeah, it's every day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, moving into directing, how do you think that the director did in telling this story? Obviously, you know, we've been talking about the writing and stuff like that. We've talked briefly about the different shots that have been going on. Um, during the opening scene, we had talked about it before, about all the chaos and stuff. I kept noticing that there were so many shots inside where the war was going on in the outside, and we constantly kept seeing these soldiers walk by through the windows, and I think that that was done deliberately to show the people of the town that were essentially looking out on the war as if it was something glorious as these soldiers walk past, and everyone's viewing it from the comfort of their homes and schools, not realizing the horror that's just outside. Mm -hmm. So I like that the director shot it that way. Yeah. We also talked about earlier the um, the boots as Franz as Franz is dying. This soldier named Mueller wants his boots because they look like they'll be really comfortable. Well, after Franz dies, he tells Paul to give Mueller his boots, so he does. And then we have a series of shots that just follow the boots, mm-hmm. and I thought that was so cool because it's like you see Mueller puts them on. He goes marching, and you follow the boots. You see the boots go into war and all this stuff, and you follow it up into the point where he gets killed, Mm -hmm. and then it shows the boots like kind of go in the air as he dies. And it reminds me, I read a book a long time ago called The Things They Carried, which was a series of short stories from soldiers, and it's just them talking about the things that they carried with them in war and why. And we also saw it in Wings, where he has like one of the... The teddy bear. The teddy bear, yeah, that he, like, carries with him and stuff like that. So that's what that reminded me of with, like, the boots. And I thought that that's, was such a cool thing. That's interesting that you're saying, because I actually thought, I must have watched it incorrectly, I thought we were watching the boots switch from different soldiers as they died. And a new soldier was getting them. So it was the same guy I think the through time. part of it, and then when he dies in the trench, I somebody think another guy picks him up, because it cuts to the boots again, and now it yeah. pans up and somebody new's wearing them. So yeah. I think you follow Mueller for a while until he dies. And then, and then it cuts the to somebody else, and then it kind of ends there. But I like the way that he showed that. It took a break from the story to be yeah. like, look what happens to like these different things. It's a things. somber movie. But it's little yeah. things like that that make are what make it so poignant and lasting. It's, I mean, yes. this movie is almost 90 years old, and it is still so relevant. Like, it's, it's nuts. It's crazy. I, and I think he did a beautiful job. And it's interesting, too, because the um, movie that he previously had won an Academy Award for was Two Arabian Nights, which was a comedy, actually also yeah. starring Louis Wolheim. Um, but I think it's really cool that he went from doing a comedic movie to this incredible powerhouse film. Yeah. He'll also go on to direct Of Mice and Men, which will get nominated for an Academy Award, and another movie called Front Page, which will get nominated but not win. Um, no, nice. does, neither does of my cement, but or he doesn't for either of those things. Um, but anyway, it's interesting because this is it also feels like this evolutionary shift for him career wise, you know, on our first podcast wings when we were talking about the nudity of it and the different kissing and stuff. I found it interesting that when Paul is in bed with the French woman, I guess they couldn't show it. Oh, yeah, because the camera stays oh, on the wall yes. and mm-hmm. you just hear the two of them talking the whole time. So I assume that's why they don't show them. Because you're made to believe that he slept with this French woman, and I guess they're in his ha- in her house still, but the camera just stays on the wall, and you hear the two of them talking, and they never see it until the other soldiers are, like, leaving the house. So I thought that was curious that before you could see nudity and all this stuff and guys yeah. mouth-kissing their moms, but we can't show Paul in bed with this French woman. Paul does mouth-kiss his mom. Oh, all kinds of mouth oh and interesting I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the acting but um, Zazu Pitts was originally cast as Paul's mom but in preview screenings people were so used to seeing her as a comedic actress that everybody started laughing 
when she came on screen because they were expecting oh. her to be funny. Oh, so they actually recast her and reshot all of her scenes with um, Burl Mercer, I believe is her name, who ended up playing the mother because the the casting just didn't work for audiences at the time. What about this? Oh. Yeah. I was going to say the one thing I really liked too was in because we're thinking about the mother scenes I'm thinking about when he went home and took his leave mm-hmm. of absence yeah. they do that I loved and I didn't think it was going to come back again but it does when he just makes references with his sister and it's like he's coming home and she's so excited to see him but they, they've had such different experiences I feel like he sees the butterflies that they've caught together and they're framed and he's just trying to have a moment with her that's like bringing them back to where they had some commonality between them. And he's like, oh, remember when we did that? And and it was like, uh, and I thought that moment was kind of just lovely in and of itself. And then it becomes the final scene. And I actually didn't really see that coming when he, he's Mm -hmm. like going to catch this butterfly and he gets shot. Um, and dies. I wanted the butterfly to land on his hand. (laughs) Well, I think that's the point is it's just out of reach. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's like, He's just trying to have a connection yeah. to what like, the life he knew, and there's no way he can. Right. That transitions us really nicely into the technician's section, because that scene, the final shot, was actually shot during post, and it's director Lewis Millstone's hand, not, oh, not, uh, not Lou Ayers, because they were already into editing, and Lou Ayers was not available, I guess. It's such a beautiful, sad way to end this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was... The minute I was like, this is how it's going to go. Like, yeah. You know, it was... I. You, you know. just knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I thought the editing all around was very solid. Like, even from the beginning, I like when the teacher's talking to the students, trying to get them riled up to go to war, that it focused in on Paul, and it showed, like, while the teacher's talking, it flashes to him what he imagines coming home in that uniform would be like and his mother is kind of horrified but his dad steps out and is like you know proud proud Mm -hmm. of his son and the different perspectives of them and then it cuts to like another soldier who pictures himself riding in the parade with all the women and stuff and how Mm -hmm. they see themselves like I like that they showed that as the teacher was like talking because then you can see their thought processes as they're like thinking about what what the teacher was saying but then also we kind of talked about this um briefly on a previous podcast as well but I love that there's lots of movement in this movie mm-hmm. because the dolly it felt like it was or the camera was constantly on the dolly that was always moving and I think that that was on purpose to show that in war you're constantly moving from place to place to place because then when they would get stuck in a bunker for a long time it was one locked off shot through most of it occasionally they would punch in for close ups mm-hmm. but it was mostly one shot where the camera was almost framed by the bunker to where you were in there with the guys and the camera, like, doesn't move. Mm -hmm. So then it's static and you're stuck with them because they're stuck there for days. And then as soon as you're back outside, we're dolling, we're moving, we're going somewhere, and it's constantly moving around. So I thought that was interesting in the way that he shot it, I think, helped tell the story and propel it forward. Yeah, like the rhythms of war. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. But, yeah, that's definitely how it felt. How did you feel about the last shot of the that we've seen the boys when they were first entering war and now it's juxtaposed over the graves yeah where it's like i like that where i liked it too yeah they did that a couple of times there was another one i think it was like they were at war and the top half of the screen is dark because it's a night and they show some stuff going on up there that's like overlaid um so yeah that reminded me of that because yeah i like that it's the shot of the graves and you see the soldiers walking in a line and each one stops and looks back which is at the camera scene earlier when they were first going and to it, war yeah. and it makes me think like you know we have a lot of very historical you know arlington national cemetery our yeah. americans like 
every country has one. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and they all represent people. Like so, I thought you know, they all represent people that have fallen in the same war, kind of fallen for the same reason, mm-hmm. but just on different sides. You oh, know, yeah. what I mean, and I thought that I don't know. I thought it was really good. I thought it made sense without being like some cheesy weird moment. Yeah. You know. And I like that the choice of no music through the entire film. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great choice because he didn't want to distract from the seriousness of what was going on. And you can completely see how that influenced future war movies. Saving Private Ryan, that opening 20-minute sequence that everyone talks about, the beach no music. Only, uh... There's a point where somebody, a bomb goes off and everything becomes muffled, but there's no music. I guarantee you Spielberg did that because of this movie. Well, that Spielberg... he watched it in the way that... Yeah, they depicted it. Yeah, he said that he was very influenced by this movie and the choices of, of this movie. Well, there you go. But some movie theaters, when they got this reel, they thought it was a mistake. So some movie theaters added music of their own choice to this movie until the directors and the producers found out and said, no, no, there's supposed to be no music. This is a serious movie and you got to take it that way. But I thought all the war footage was chaotic and crazy, and I thought that was perfect because yeah. I thought would, that's the way war seems to be. There's a really great quote from the Variety review of this movie. Quote, The League of Nations could make no better investment than to buy up the master print, reproduce it in every language to be shown in all nations until the word war is taken out of the dictionaries. That's true. Uh, yeah. Let's transition that into our producers of the overall film. Because the film uh, got wide acclaim in the United States and is considered a realistic and harrowing account of World War I. Uh, it was made for $1.25 million. Um, and it was actually a big gamble for Universal because it went into production only a few months after the 1929 stock market crash. So that showed how much Universal believed in this film, that they still went for it. Um, it was the first talkie war film to win the Oscar. It was Universal's first Best Picture win. It was also the first ever film to win an Academy Awards for Best Picture and Best Director. Um, but due to its anti-war and perceived anti-German messages, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party banned the film from Germany uh, in the 1930s and early 1940s. During its brief run in cinemas before he banned it, Nazis disrupted the viewings by setting off stink bombs. They released sneezing powder into the air. They released mice into the theaters. And eventually to the point where they had some of the Nazis um, pulling out audience members that were perceived to be Jewish and forcing the projectors to shut down. Oh, good God. And so... Yeah, it was all at the direction of Goebbels. Yeah. Um, But then it was re-released in Germany in 1952. But the film was also banned in Australia, Mm -hmm. I don't know why, from 1930 to 1941, Italy and Austria until the 1980s, France until 1963, and others like New Zealand because it was deemed anti-war propaganda. Yeah. But overall, I think it's... Anti-war. About realistic war. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, it took away the perception of go to war and die for your country because that's the greatest thing you can do. Yeah. I think it started to take that away. And probably enlistment, they were afraid, would go down and there wouldn't be enough people fighting for the country. But I think it's important to show the realistic side of war. Could you imagine if people, when they enlist, are like, before you do, just so you know what you're getting into, we'd like you to watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they would never, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It did spawn a sequel called The Road Back, which portrays the second company returning home after the war. So I'm wondering who all that would follow and what that kind of movie would cover. But um, do you think the film holds up today? And would you recommend people seeing it? Yes and yes. Yep. It's it's great. This is one of those movies that you're like, how have I not seen this? You know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I'm not a huge fan of war movies. I 
this is a this is a beautiful movie. Yeah, I loved it. Completely agree. Definitely, it's my favorite out of the three that we've reviewed so far. Um, definitely holds up today, especially like the war footage. I think for that time period, it's amazing how well that holds up. And definitely people should see it, not only for its influence, but just because this, this is the first one where it's like some of the other movies we've reviewed so far, it's like for the historical aspect, you should see this. Or if you're a right. cinemaphile, you should see this. I think anyone should just see this yes, movie. 100%. Because of the story it tells, the way it's told, the importance of it. Um, and I also found a quote um, with somebody who reviewed it that said, the film is about is not about heroism, but about the drudgery and futility and the gulf between the concept of war and the actuality. And so I think people need to see it just for that. Yeah, agreed. How great that something this old in the cinnamon canon is still just this good. And yeah. it's still so relevant. It's so relevant. It's sad. Sad how relevant It's unfortunate it is. that it's so relevant, but you're always going to have conflict. Yeah. And a little bit of my own trivia. I thought this was a Western. <laughs> <laughs> I told I Sky before we too. literally like rented it. I was like, oh, I'm excited to watch an old Western. This is going to be good. And Sky's like, it's a war movie. I was like, like it's oh. not. <laughs> It is not a happy Western. The Western front. Our Western. <laughs> I mean, yeah, arguably Western. A lot of Westerns aren't happy, but I was like, no, this isn't some like fun shoot 'em up Western movie. This is a this is a very serious war movie. This yeah. is a sad shoot 'em up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But a good film that everyone I think should see. Yes. But uh, that'll wrap up our discussion on All Quiet on the Western Front. Thanks and good night. That will wrap up this episode of The Envelope Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please let us know your thoughts on the film we discussed here today. We are a Cinema Squad production presented on the Cinema Squad Podcast channel. You can reach anyone here at thecinemasquad.com. Just go there to email us, check our bios, and keep up with the latest episode. And please, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. That's extremely helpful.